Howdy everybody and welcome to episode 46 of the Weekly Dose of Euphoria podcast. I'm your host Matt Sapala for any new listeners out there and this channel is hoping to provide you with resources and tips on how to lead a more sustainable and plant conscious lifestyle. Guys, this week's guest is none other than Stephanie Sanzaro, a personal trainer and holistic lifestyle mentor, mentor from Geelong. Steph's story is so captivating and her journey is incredible. From a binge drinking teenager to a health conscious lady absolutely crushing life. Steph has been through an awful lot through her childhood, but it shaped her into the person she is today. And she summed it up perfectly during our chat, whereas everything happens for a reason and I have no regrets. She also battled with a condition that is so prevalent amongst teenage women these days, and that's polycystic ovary syndrome. She shares her journey and how she combated it through a whole foods plant-based diet. She aims to promote sustainability and longevity through everything she does and has big audacious goals for the future. So that's all from me guys, enjoy the show. Steph Sanzaro, welcome to the Weekly Dose of Euphoria podcast. It's good to be here, Matt. Awesome. You drove all the way from Geelong today, so I appreciate you making the time and taking the time out of your day to record this episode. I'm pumped to get into it. How was the drive, by the way? It was so easy. Yeah. 40 minutes. I was here. 40 minutes. (laughs) Definitely speeding this. No. <laughs> Steph, you're doing amazing things in the fitness industry, particularly in the community down at Geelong. And I'm really pumped to get into a chat today about your journey. And I, chatting before the podcast, we share a similar journey and similar values in terms of the fitness industry and sustainability through through nutrition and exercise. So I'm, I'm really excited to pick your brain and see where your journey took you. But let's bring it right back to the beginning and tell me what life was like for you growing up. Life for me growing up was, I think, very complicated. There was a lot to it. I grew up in Geelong my whole entire life and I had my mum and my dad and they sort of split up when I was 11 months old and so I grew up with my mum and we moved around a lot. So she moved us from, you know, different house, different suburb, all the time, constantly changing. And dad I would see every second weekend growing up and that was all right. He left Geelong when I was about seven, moved to Melbourne and so I would go up and see him in Melbourne. and. That was all right. We didn't really have a great relationship. It was just sort of like, I've got to pick stuff up and take her to my house. We'll watch a movie and then I'll take her back sort of situation. Um, Mum and I had a strange relationship as well. That was um, really troublesome growing up. We sort of fought all the time. We didn't get along. And we still to this day have a very different mentality on the world. We have a good relationship now, but that's just because I have self-awareness about what I need in life and what I don't. And so we have a great relationship now. But um, growing up was, yeah, different, single mum, you know, I think we very much grew up around the idea of my mum constantly trying to like lose weight. She was trying lots of diets, weight watches, um, or counting points, or, you know, doing light and easy meals for a couple of years. And I think I got that mentality that I sort of had to follow that same path that I too needed to pay attention to my weight and was constantly trying to do that as I was growing up so going into high school I had like terrible body image um high school was like bullying and you know I had come from a Lutheran primary school so we were very focused into like doing our schoolwork and being very well behaved and I came into a public school went to Belmont High School and I was a bit of a nerd and it wasn't very well received by the students there. I kind of got bullied a lot in earlier schooling life. And so 
I decided that that was, you know, obviously not working for me being smart, then I dumbed myself down to, you know, fit in and I would be the class clown. I would, you know, make the teacher get so angry at me that she would send me out of the classroom. And it was basically me just trying to fit in, in school to, to have, (coughs) excuse me. I think I just choked on some fluff. <laughs> I basically just wanted people to like accept me. And I think that's what everybody wants in high school. They just want to fit in. They don't want to stick out like a sore thumb. They want to be a part of something. But I knew that that wasn't serving me well at all. You know, we were drinking at 14 and, you know, I tried drugs for the first time at 14 and my dad and I were smoking together and drinking VB and we grew up really fast. It was, I don't know if it was the school or if it was Geelong, but we were binge drinking, going to oval parties. And this year it was year eight and I was 14. And yeah, I was doing a lot of really self-destructive behaviors. And I think ultimately it came from a fact that, you know, I didn't belong. I felt like I needed to do these things in order to make people like me. So I felt like that year was a, like a terrible year for me but it was one that I really needed to have because ultimately I finished out that year of year eight and I didn't win any awards at school and didn't get honours and anything like that and that was a wake-up call for me because my academia was actually really important to me and I didn't want to disappoint anyone in my life so I really started to like shape things up after that you know lost that bad girl persona really tried to make friends with lots of different people in the school and I made friends with these girls who were like the popular group and there was a big mentality in that group that no we're not going to eat we're going to starve ourselves and just have carrot sticks and you know green tea and so I sort of adopted that mindset as well and so probably 16 17 were like bad years for me where I would do a lot of weight loss teas so I thought in my body that my thighs were huge hated them wanted to get rid of them And so I would buy Skinny Me Tea online and I would drink it. And I've written this in a blog before, but the worst thing about those teas is that they are a diuretic. So you get like severe abdominal pain, you get really unwell and you're on the toilet, like having diarrhea for hours and you're not losing weight. You're just losing water. It's pretty much all that's happening. But in my mind at the time, I was like, nah, this will help. And I remember distinctly being at school and having one of these episodes happen to me and I had to call my nan to come and pick me up from school. Yeah. It was horrible. So I think 17, 18, that last year of high school, I got down to like my lowest weight, which was 47 kilos. So put that into context now, I'm sitting at around about 63 to 64 kilos, depending on how much you know weightlifting I'm doing or how much strength. Um, and that was really unwell. So... I developed anemia, so like severe iron deficiency. My hair was all falling out. Um, I was severely depressed and on top of that, anxious about going to school, people seeing me, my weight. I would wear like big oversized clothes. I thought I was fat, but I was really thin because I thought I was fat. So a lot of my friends in my friend group also had the same problem, you know. So I was being fed by this little group and this mentality that we had to look that way. And I now know that, you know, body image, it all comes from our emotions. And so I would go through these really 
you know, long stints of being quite skinny and underweight. And then something would flick in me and I'd go the other way. So I'd then like binge real hard. And this was probably when I was about 17. So the binging was really full on. And I knew that I would do it when I was having a bad day or something was going wrong with my mum and I would turn to food to make me happy. And at this stage, my mum was actually quite unwell mentally. She um, has basically had a lot of bad things happen to her in her life. And at this point in time, when I was 17, she was experiencing severe depression and anxiety and unfortunately was suicidal. So I would get home and she would be in bed all day and didn't want to leave the house and, you know, she wasn't very friendly towards me or very nice towards me and nothing I did was really good enough. I would try and help her and it just, yeah, wasn't good enough basically. And so I sort of stepped back from her a little bit because I didn't know what to do. You know, I was someone that really wanted to help people you know, everything I was doing in school was heading towards, you know, I wanted to be a lawyer so that I could be a human rights, you know, lawyer and combat, you know, asylum seekers and, you know, help bring people into the country and, you know, all that sort of stuff. But I couldn't help my mum. And so she basically said to me one day that I'm really sorry, but I can't have you live with me anymore. And so I went and lived with my nan for the year of year 12. And my nan and I, are to this day still best friends and I will love her and her partner John like they are my own parents because they've taken me in so many times in my life and I wouldn't really be here if they didn't and take me under their wing like that. My mum is doing so much better now but she's had a lot of help and you know it took a couple of years to get there but um so high school is pretty rough for me but ultimately like finished year 12 and was able to get like a good ATAR score did get into law and then did three weeks of it and hated it. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Steph, that, that childhood is absolutely incredible. And being surrounded by those people and, and having to combat those things forced you to mature so early. I just want to bring it back to, to your early childhood when you were moving moving around houses and stuff. How yeah. do you feel that that unsettling lifestyle you know, impacted your, your journey through high school and ability to make friends and keep friendships and, and stuff like that? Absolutely, Matt. I think to this day, I've lived in 27 houses. And a lot of that comes from the fact that mum likes to move. You know, she likes to live in different houses. And she constantly sort of felt the need to have a romantic partner with her. So for a lot of the time, we were moving into these houses with a man that she would have been with for a while. And then we'd move into another house. And, you know, she was constantly seeking that validation from that outside source. And I understand that now is something she didn't get when she was younger. So I can understand that now, but at the time I blamed her because I never had like stability. I still went to the same school, you know, I had a common group of friends and they all knew that I would move quite a lot. It was just kind of funny because I would constantly not have a lot of stuff because I would get rid of a lot of it. And then I'd move about a year later or, you know, sometimes it would be six weeks later, but I think it created instability in my life and I think it's really important for children to have stability. I think ultimately like it had affected my mental health growing up. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's it's incredible, you know, looking at the person you are today and I wouldn't have not had the slightest idea that you've been through that through your childhood. So it's a testament to yourself, Steph. Great job. Now, you know, you touched on the environment that you were hanging around with 
during your childhood and the people that you're hanging around with like during the year eight year when you were drinking and oval parties and whatnot um obviously that played a huge part in your decision making to go towards that sort of lifestyle what shifted you to turn towards a more conscious lifestyle and what was the catalyst for you turning you know into fitness and the plant-based community i think i truly believe that we are like a product of the five people that we spend the most time around and i didn't get that you know growing up i did decide to hang out with people who you know wanted to be at the skate park after school and drink and smoke cigarettes and it took me years after high school to actually get out of that properly you know I finished year 12 and went to uni for a little bit but obviously decided that it wasn't the right path for me so I worked full-time in hospitality for a couple of years after that but I was still smoking and I was still drinking on the weekends and I think it hit the age of around about 19 And I met this guy who was incredible in the fitness industry. His name is Lockie Horner. And I heard him speak and I was just so inspired. And I thought, you know what? I want to be like that. You know, he was helping people change their lives. And that's what I've always wanted to do. I've wanted to change people's lives. So, you know, I was working in this hospitality job and I wasn't really going anywhere. And my mental health was not good. And I just thought, how good is this? Like, I'll go study PT and I'll be able to learn all these skills for myself, but I'll be able to turn that around and help other people as well. So that was really how I got into the fitness industry. That was back in 2015. And unfortunately, it was not an easy road. It really wasn't. I studied. I was living out of home at the time because uh, when I was 18, my mum kicked me out. So I was living out of home at this time. And um, I was living with two girls and they were smoking weed and cigarettes in the house. And at the time I didn't do any of that. I didn't smoke weed. I was like, no, I'm really against it. But then I slowly started to do it. And then it became something that I did to numb everything else that was going on in my life. So I started to heavily use weed for a couple of months there. And I actually was still studying PT at the time, feeling like an absolute hypocrite because we had McDonald's, KFC and Hungry Jack's across the road and I was eating that because I was poor and I was studying but I was contradicting myself and it eventually came to the realization I had no idea who the hell that was like what was I trying to do who was I but I was not in any state to have any self-awareness around any of this and we eventually got evicted from this house and I moved in with my nan and John yet again and worked with them and you know my mental health just was not great. This was the first time that I decided I'd go to the doctors and talk to them about how I was feeling. And this is when I was diagnosed with depression for the first time. And so exercise was something that really helped me during this time. You know, I got out of that environment of smoking cigarettes and smoking weed every day. And I was able to focus just solely on my studies and my exercise. And it changed everything for me. But this did not last long. You know, I eventually moved to Bowen Heads and I lived there and I had freedom again. And that's when I started to adopt smoking weed again and smoking cigarettes again. And so it was, I was constantly seeking something to numb what was going on inside. You know, I didn't notice that then. I didn't realize that that's why I was doing it, but I would smoke weed. I would binge. I would eat 
so much junk food salt and vinegar chips i would eat crispy m&ms skittles you name it that was my night most nights and so i was just this severely unhappy unhealthy person and it wasn't you know good for any part of my health not my mental health because you know when you binge eat you eat really unhealthy foods you end up not liking your body so that leads to poor body image and so it's just a whole cycle and when you feel bad about it you you binge eat again you know to make yourself happy I, I just found it was a completely recycled you know little circle there Wow. And Steph, I'm interested to hear how, you know, you, you flick this switch almost and, and you'd go from studying um, in the fitness industry and wanting to, you know, better your health and, and better other people's health and put all this effort into that. And then going home and back into that environment, what, what was your mentality going through both of them things? And, and how did you, you know, how did you manage to flick that switch and, and turn up to, you know, a, a course that's all about your health. And then when you go home, flick that switch, what was going through the head there? I think I was constantly like seeking an identity and I didn't know what that was at the time. And because I so much, you know, leaving Nan and John's house and moving to Barwon Heads, I then had all this freedom again, but I didn't get into the fitness industry. I actually started working full-time in cafes again. I didn't have the confidence I had one job interview and it didn't go well to be a PT and my confidence was knocked down. You know, I had like no self-worth at this time, you know, no good self-esteem practices in place. And I took that really hard. So I was like, well, I have to survive. I need money. So I went back to what I know best and I went into hospitality and I did the same thing for another year and a half after that. Wow. That's, that's incredible Steph. And and you know you've been through been through all this and and you know went back into what you knew in the hospitality industry what was the the switch for you and what sort of sparked your you know your passion to get back into the health and wellness industry absolutely you might be a little bit surprised but it was at a point where i think everything hit rock bottom i was really looking for something in my life working full time was just not you know sparking anything in me you going know. through the motions yeah. yeah and I was you know eating terrible foods junk foods you know I worked at a bakery that specialized in egg bacon and mayonnaise rolls you know <laughs> so I basically was overweight unhappy and my housemate was doing f45 at the time and there was a new challenge coming up and she said Steph I think that you should join me like this is gonna be really good you're gonna exercise you know get yourself back into that way and you know in the past I would go through massive stints of exercising and you know I did bodybuilding for a bit and you know that was great but then I'd lose it and so when I did f45 it it actually changed everything in my world awesome and Steph I'll stop you there did you ever stop to think that the food you were feeding your body was contributing to you know, your poor mood, your poor self-esteem and ultimately your lifestyle? Did you ever connect those two together? I didn't have that awareness at the time that, you know, me eating a whole packet of salt and vinegar chips was actually, you know, because I was upset or, you know, was stemming from some emotional need to feel something, you know. I didn't know this at that time. It took me, you know, years to discover that that's where it was coming from. Amazing. And back into the F45 challenge, it's really pleasing to see that, you know, a challenge is having these sort of effects on people because look at you now, you're, you're thriving in this space. Um, and often, 
me personally, I'm not a big fan of eight-week challenges or six-week challenges, um, basically because of the unsustainable nature. But to see you, you know, come out of the other end, you know, really living and breathing this lifestyle, and that was the catalyst for change. I'm really interested to see, you know, what when in that process did you decide that this was for me, and what what made you want to pursue, you know, a career in in this industry? Well, I think getting back into fitness was just like I think it took me two weeks, and I was like oh my God, this is exactly what I love. It refreshed my love for the fitness industry. And I think I was watching my body tra- like change so dramatically, you know, following this meal plan very strictly. I was exercising probably five to six times a week. Um, and yeah, I knew by that halfway point, four weeks in, I was like, this is what I want to do with my life. You know, I want to help people the way that, you know, I'm being helped right now. Because for the first time in a long time, I was eating like whole foods only. And so I felt electric. It was like I had so much energy. I could bounce on walls. You know, I wanted everyone to know what I was doing. And I had actually gone plant-based about, mm, I think, six months prior to doing this F45 eight-week challenge. But I was eating toasted sandwiches with avocado in them and two-minute noodles and, you know, I wasn't actually eating a whole food plant-based diet. I was eating like a junk food vegan diet. And so this challenge taught me some really great habits of, you know, meal prepping and, you know, setting goals and exercising. And yeah, it propelled my needs. So when I finished that eight-week challenge, I was lucky enough to be, you know, named the winner. And I was still working in hospitality at this point, but it was like I had changed completely. I didn't want to be in that space anymore. I was, you know, talking to myself and reading all these, you know, self-improvement books. And I had finally like, you know, found my path. It was, it propelled me into this sphere that I'm in right now. And I think without me doing that eight week challenge, I wouldn't be where I am today. So I can see that it was, you know, such a necessary part of my life and my journey. Uh, however, it has obviously changed in my you know, relationship towards this eight-week challenge has completely changed. Yeah, for sure. And I guess it's important to highlight as well that just because uh, food is considered vegan doesn't mean that it's healthy. Um, often there's a, like now there's a lot of processed packaged foods that are considered vegan and a lot of people in this, you know, the, the plant-based community and the vegan community itself think that, you know, because it's vegan, it's healthy, which is yeah. the exact opposite. Yeah. You know, you're still feeling, you need to be filling your body with whole foods and predominantly from a plant-based diet so that was awesome that the the challenge enabled you to realize the um the whole foods are you know the best for for long-term health and and whatnot so what sort of foods were you eating during the challenge and what you know you mentioned that you shifted from packaged foods to to the um whole foods and how did that process happen as well yeah so basically like during the challenge you're eating smoothies and heaps of salads and you know you're making like stuffed capsicums and all of these really cool recipes that you wouldn't normally make in real life and because i was doing it really strictly i made everything so i was eating like a crepe on a sunday morning like you know (laughs) out of this world stuff and so i was actually using the vegetarian meal plan but making it vegan so i was very strictly vegan and plant-based at this point um there's a dif- there's a difference between the two. Um, and I definitely was, you know, trying my hardest to supplement, you know, the eggs for something that I knew would be, you know, beneficial would be like tofu or something like that. So for me, it was like also teaching myself how to make, you know, these vegetarian meals plant-based. And 
So I started to like recipe develop and learn how to, you know, form a meal properly. And yeah, it just created this, I don't know, overflow now into my life where I've just become obsessed with creating plant-based recipes. Amazing. And what was the initial catalyst for turning vegan, so to speak? So back, it was April 2017 was the day that I went vegan. And it basically came about because I was diagnosed four months earlier with polycystic ovarian syndrome. So for me, I thought, okay, animal products are packed with hormones and mine are up the shitter. So what can I do to turn that around? And so I thought, oh, you know what? A friend of mine has been eating a vegan diet for a while and, you know, why don't I just give it a go? So I decided it was just going to be an experiment. But within the first week, I decided to load myself up on all of these like documentaries. I watched Cowspiracy, 101 Reasons to Go Vegan on YouTube. And I just read so many articles. And after that first week, I was like, no, this is for life. (laughs) I've got this now. So it really resonated with like my values of like, you know, the environment and, you know, compassion. I think, you know, that is one of my top three values. And I realized that, you know, eating a plant-based diet was the most compassionate thing that you could possibly do for the entire planet, for everyone around you. And yeah, it was just like that overnight. I say that I went cold tofurkey. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I might steal that one. (laughs) No. (laughs) Steph, so you were diagnosed with polycystic ovary syndrome. For the listeners at home, can you give us an overview of what that is and how that sort of affected your, your life? Yeah, of course. Um... So most people will break it down and, you know, there's many uh, like cysts on the ovaries, but it's kind of a little bit of a blanket name. It doesn't actually have much, you know, sense because basically there will be like maybe a string of pearls around the ovary that are follicles, which they are called cysts because that's just like an empty fluid sac basically in the body. Um, This can lead to many different things though. So Polycystic ovarian syndrome is sort of seen as like a metabolic disorder. So basically one of the symptoms is the cysts on the ovaries and that's how you can discover it. But it also has to do with like your hormone levels. So excess testosterone, low progesterone, and maybe sometimes some estrogen dominance, that type of thing. And then there's other hormones that are, you know, involved in this as well. LH and FSH, that type of thing. But for me, it was discovered because I didn't have my period for over a year and basically thought that that was a little bit unusual. And I went to the doctors and basically we did heaps, heaps and heaps of tests over like the next, it would have been months before we found out what I had. Basically, they do a heap of the hormone tests. You'll have an external ultrasound, an internal ultrasound and then they do glucose testing and insulin testing and all that sort of thing. So there's basically, if you have two out of the three factors, then you'll be diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome. For me, I had three. So it was the hormones, which were out of whack. I had the absence of period and then cysts on my ovaries. But sometimes people won't have cysts on their ovaries, but they will have polycystic ovarian syndrome. So they can have two of the three. I see. And what were, what are some of the symptoms that you were, you know, experiencing after being diagnosed with that? And, and what was the treatment from, from the doctors? So basically the symptoms were like, and they are different for everybody, but they can be excess hair growth, hair loss, um, severe acne, 
abdominal pain, depression, anxiety, um, insulin resistance, you've got hypothyroidism, diabetes. Um, did I mention obesity? And then the big one, which is infertility. Yeah. So that was sort of the one where they really, they dramatize like the whole thing. He basically says to you, well, this is what happened to me anyway. He said, Steph, you've got lazy ovaries. They're not releasing an egg and you're not ovulating. So basically it's going to be really hard for you to have a baby if you want to. So when you do decide that you want to have a baby, you're going to have to come back to me and I'm going to have to give you medication in order to do so. So I think being a 21-year-old girl and hearing that, that's never a nice thing to hear. You know, I went home and cried for hours because my doctor had just told me that I'm not going to be able to have babies easily. You know, I felt like the world was falling down around me. And so for four months after I was diagnosed, I had no idea what the hell I was doing. It wasn't until, you know, four months later that I decided to go vegan in some small way to help combat, you know, what I was doing. You know, just was given the pill, basically. They said, here, go on the pill. It's going to create a false ovulation. At least you'll release, you know, an egg, I think they say. And yeah, they give you the contraceptive pill and that's kind of it. Basically, come back to me when you want to have babies. Sort of like a Band-Aid fix, isn't it? Yeah, it absolutely is. And it's creating like other negative things in your body because, you know, some people's acne will go away. You know, they'll have, you know, the hair loss will stop, hair growth will stop. But basically, as soon as you come off the pill, all those symptoms come back. So it really is a Band-Aid. You know, you're not actually reversing the symptoms that you had. You're simply putting the blanket over them, walking away from them. But then obviously when you want to have a baby, you'll have to come off the contraceptive pill. You'll have to go through the cycle of cleansing it out of your body. All your symptoms will come back and then you're still going to have trouble having a baby. Wow, that's incredible. And did you, before adopting a vegan lifestyle to help combat the polycystic ovaries did you consult anyone before doing that or did you just go through the um through the documentaries and yeah just through the documentaries I probably could have seen a naturopath um might have been the smarter thing to do but for me I decided that I was just going to go vegan and you know I thought it was working for a really long time you know eventually I was eating a fully plant-based diet it wasn't you know the typical junk food vegan diet anymore and it was going really, really well. And this was sort of when I finished the eight week challenge and, you know, my whole life had turned into this like holistic wellness, you know, little bubble. And I decided like I wanted to be a naturopath like right then and there. So I actually enrolled in Southern School of Natural Therapies, started doing um, naturopathy there. And I was like, well, I'm going to help people, you know, heal themselves like I have. And at this point, I thought I was doing really well with it all. But I was not in a good situation. I was not living in Melbourne at the time, but I decided to get a job in Melbourne at F45. And then I had obviously uni in Melbourne, but I wasn't living in Melbourne. It was two hours and 50 minutes by public transport from my house in Ocean Grove to university. Each way? Each way. Yeah. So I decided that I would ask one of my friends if I could stay with her. And I feel so sorry for this friend, but I lived on her like literal lounge room floor on a mattress for three months and that again was just instability in my life you know I was kind of going from the apartment you know putting my mattress away in the middle of the day you know studying I was working a new job I was completely overwhelmed and I was unstable so basically I um 
stop studying after about two trimesters. I had to come back from Melbourne and I was studying online for a little while and, and then I was like, okay, my health is not good. My PCOS symptoms flared up worse than I've ever seen in my whole life. So obviously my cortisol levels were so high that I suddenly got worse acne than I did before. I had big boils on my skin. It was oily. I had spots everywhere. They were in the crevice of my nose. It was, I looked horrible. My self-worth, like my self-esteem went down. It was, you know, followed by depression. And then again, binge eating came back into it because I was so unhappy. So for me, this is when I decided that, you know, I need to change everything in my life. You know, I was studying to be a naturopath at the time, but I wasn't really taking good care of myself. You know, I was trying to eat a plant-based diet, but probably wasn't doing it as, you know, maybe as well as other people who had reversed their PCOS symptoms were doing it. So for me, I researched, I did heaps of study. I started seeing a psychologist and we worked out together that, you know, I would be able to do this naturally, but there are a few other things that I would need to do. So I did heaps of research into how people do cure or reverse their PCOS symptoms. And that's when I started looking into like high fat, low carb or smart carb. Um, how to like, yeah, fully reverse your symptoms by changing your lifestyle even more so than I already had. So that's when I sort of propelled into, I would get rid of all of my, you know, unhealthy chemical induced products just natural stuff only. Um, I decided that I needed to cleanse my body. So I started doing like, you know, heaps of these high cruciferous vegetable smoothies and, you know, eating heaps of kale and five cups of greens a day. And I wanted to cleanse my entire body, get all of the toxins out so that I could start to heal properly. And it was all going to start with my gut. So I cut gluten, alcohol, you know, if I would have a cigarette, there was no way that I would do that anymore. And yeah, slowly over six months, my acne went away, my hair started growing back and I was told by the doctor that I had reversed all diagnostic characteristics of my PCOS. That's incredible. I guess that's such an overwhelming relief knowing (laughs) that, you know, you can cure it yourself without um, putting a bandaid over it, which a lot of of doctors do prescribe, not against doctors because they do amazing work, but I think there's a time and a place for for medication and and it's just exciting to see that you can actually reverse those symptoms, you Mm. know, through lifestyle factors. Exactly. And one of the biggest things was that I needed to de-stress you know, people don't consider cortisol as, you know, a, you know, anything really. They're just like, oh, stress is stress. But no, it actually releases cortisol, which is your stress hormone. And that interferes with progesterone, which can then not make you release an egg. And then, you know, it's basically suppressing all of those hormones again. So for me, I knew that cortisol can be increased by coffee. So I cut coffee completely. I started doing de-stressing things in my life like going for long walks and deep breathing and you know focusing on my mental health that was when I decided like the therapist was a thing I needed to do and you know talking through everything really started to help me gain self-awareness into why I behaved the way that I did and you know it helped my depression lift from what it was and my anxiety had gotten so much better and you know I think de-stressing is something that you can't, like you've got to put a lot of weight into it 
because ultimately, you know, quitting uni was something I did to de-stress. I think it probably helped exacerbate a lot of my symptoms. And so I deferred and I decided to focus wholly on my health and it helped me more than anything. Yeah, it's incredible. And often us humans, we're literally walking around like robots and thinking that these common symptoms are normal when they're, when they're not. We should not be putting ourselves under enormous amounts of stress. And, mm-hmm. and stress is inevitable. It happens in life. But dealing yeah. with that is a different issue. And I often think that we don't put enough time and energy into dealing with the stress. We just, you know, have another cup of coffee or, you know, yeah. do a lot of these things that are just adding to the fire, adding fu- fuel to the fire. So, um, yeah, it's, it's incredible to hear that point of view, Steph. And and going through, you know, all these these natural remedies and, and deciding to put your put university on the back burner to focus on your health, what was, you know, was that impacting your goals and, and were people telling you, you know, like a, common, a lot of people get caught up in the mindset of, oh, you know, you're deferring uni, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Do you get what I'm trying to say? So what Absolutely. was the mindset um, in terms of that and, and did that affect your, your decision to defer uni? I think a lot of people thought that it was not a smart idea. You know, we all have expectations of ourselves, especially that we, we have to be something, we have to do something by this certain point. You know, we say by 25, I'm going to have this, this and this. And I think other people have that on us as well. They help propel that motion. But for me, it was about detaching from my expectation of myself, what other people are expecting of me, and doing something simply that is about self-care. That is what I'm so passionate about today as well, is self-care at the core will help you gain so much self-awareness and ultimately grow into the person that you are supposed to be. You've just got to take care of yourself in order to get there because we're not our number one priority our health isn't it's you know getting to work and doing an amazing job earning this amount of money you know doing this do this do this and we simply just don't be or pay any attention to who we are or what we're doing so we're on autopilot we're on autopilot and i would you know i will honestly say that quitting uni was like the best thing i ever could have done for my health don't regret it at all and i can go back to it whenever i want to For now, I'm not even thinking about uni. I've got a new path that I'm going down. You know, I've got new ideas, things that I want to do and help people. And that's not even in my rear view mirror right now. I've gone way past that. Now it's about, I don't know, we evolve as creatures. You know, one goal will suddenly evolve in a year's time to something completely different. And we just have to let that happen. Definitely. I love how you're putting a lot of time and energy into yourself self-worth and really you know nurturing the body that you're in because there's no other place that you live besides in yourself and there yeah. is a reason why airplanes say put your safety mask on before putting other vehicles on so yes put that analogy into everyday life and start taking care of yourself and then mm-hmm. a lot of other factors in your life will fall into place so I'm sure you of that and fantastic to see step exactly um so I'm interested to see going through all, you know, this amazing journey through your childhood into your into your teens, early 20s. What are your plans now and, and what are you doing at the moment? Basically, I am running a podcast at the moment where I get to sit very much like you and I get to talk to amazing and inspiring people in my community and outside my community who are really doing their bit to make the world a better place. I think when I have a conversation with people and they open up about their mental health and their struggles and it it resonates with other people. I think it creates something in a person and they can say, well, I'm not alone. 
you know, I'm not weird or crazy. Other people are experiencing this as well. And I think that's a part of my mission. I want to help people realize that, that if you look around you, everyone else has got a very similar struggle. We don't have the same story, but everyone has pain and everyone has trauma. But through this medium and through my podcast, I'm able to sort of convey that message and put it out onto my platform. And I just hope that it's able to reach lots of people and to hopefully help some people. But um, there are a few things that I've got in the works at the moment, which will be very much surrounding building people's ability to cultivate self-love and learning how to take care of ourselves. Amazing. And your bleeding passion in that in that aspect. Um, I want to dive into the podcast and why did you start it and, and how has it benefited your life? Interviewing yeah. guests and being able to connect with people from all walks of life all around the globe. I started the podcast because I was actually interviewed by someone else and I loved it. Everything about it was just, I don't know, I felt really electric when I left that conversation and I knew that I wanted to do the same thing. I wanted to find out about people's, you know, stories and what they've been through and how they're using that power from their past to propel them into the future and to make the world a better place. So it's changing my world because I get to talk to these incredible people. I'm learning, I'm growing, my self-awareness is just, you know, heightened and I'm becoming a better person just by simply sitting across from this person. It's been amazing. Awesome. How many episodes in and then how are you enjoying it so far? Uh, we're eight episodes in at the moment with a few in the back burner, ready to go. Um, I'm loving it. It's so much more work than you think it's going to be. Um, but I'm very excited to take it overseas with me in a month's time to India and to talk to the incredible people that I'll be meeting over there in my yoga teacher training. Awesome. Yeah, so I'm yeah going to do some audio blogging through my platform medium. And yeah, I'm just so excited to see where I'm sitting when I come back from that trip in four months. Epic. That's so such amazing, audacious goals. I love to hear it. <laughs> and over in India, you're doing your yoga teacher training. What sparked that sort of lifestyle? And I guess that follows into my next question about what is your current lifestyle like and and how are you incorporating sustainability and balance into those yeah so for working at f45 for over a year and a half i was very high intensity go 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 and this was kind of stressful for my body you know i didn't realize that the impact that my physical activity was actually probably having on my hormones as well you know i was quite stressed still and that propelled me into this like space of all right i need to chill the f out you know, I need to spend more time doing mindfulness and sitting and meditating. And that's when I found yoga. I had a friend tell me to do it. And I just said, all right, nah, I got to do it. And I'd always wanted to go to India. And when I did yoga, I fell in love with it. So I only started two months ago. And that's when I decided I want to be a teacher. I I just want to add that little hole to my belt. And I want to have that to be able to, you know, because I think, I'm in a very mindfulness space right now. I think that yoga helps you calm down. It tests your mental ability. You have to hold something that you think you can't hold. You've got to be within yourself. You've got to focus inward. And it gives you time to actually, I don't know, be with yourself. A lot of us choose distractions, you know, to numb ourselves. And with yoga, you can't really avoid that. So I think going overseas, doing it in India just couldn't be a a better setting. And yeah. The origins of yoga. Yeah, over there. How I exciting. Know. <laughs> yeah. And 
I think an important part of yoga and why, you know, a lot of people fall in love after that is because you're actually taking time to connect with your breath. Your breath is such an important part that we do involuntarily, but yeah. we don't even think about breathing. But when we actually start to switch our focus to our breath, the benefits are just incredible. And you can literally feel the energy go through your body once you start to focus on your breath. So yeah, incredible. Mm, absolutely. I, I went to a Reiki specialist and she told me that I only chest breathe. She said for the whole session, I did not breathe to my belly at all. And so my takeaway from that scenario was that I had to go learn how to belly breathe and to actually breathe deep. And yoga was a massive part of that. And yeah, changed my whole life. <laughs> Agreed. Guys, if you find yourself breathing through your chest, Make sure you go on YouTube and look at a demonstration of how to breathe in with your belly. It will change your life. Yep. I assure you of that. <laughs> You'll be de-stressed to the max. Yep. Alrighty, Steph. So over to yoga. How long's the the YTT training going to take you? And what are your plans after you get back from India if you decide to come back? Talk to us a little bit of those future plans. Yeah, so I'm there for 28 days doing that. I do that in Rishikesh. And then I'm heading to Delhi. I'm doing basically 15 days of touring around with a friend's dad who lives over there and he'll be showing me around. And then planning. At the moment, I'm actually not planning anything because I'm actually trying to be like severely present and go with what feels good but the idea behind it is that I'll head into Nepal I'll do a trek I'll come back down and then I'll spend some time going through the south of India as well so it's kind of looking like a very long trip at this point three to four months but I have no time limit to be over there it's mainly about what feels good in the moment and if I want to come home I'll come home but if I won't then yeah yeah, definitely. I'll be following your journey closely. And for anyone that is intrigued, I'll have Steph's details in the show notes to follow this amazing journey because I know it's going to create some experiences that you'll be able to relate and be able to help benefit other people's lives through those experiences and through all the past experiences through your life. Steph, thank you so much for your time today. It's been incredible getting to know you and, and understanding your journey and how it's impacted your life and how you plan to you know make a change to to um, other people's life. Before we do go, I want to get uh, get your main message and then some contact details for the people so I can put in the show notes. My main message is that I think we need to really start putting ourselves as our number one priority again. We need to take care of our mind and our body and we need to you know, use that through exercise and mental well-being, you know, seeing a therapist if you need to, talking to someone next to you, opening up, making a community around you. I think social health is really important. Going to see friends, have coffee, but also fueling yourself with a nutritious plant-based diet that is going to then fuel you from the inside, make you beam bright into the outside. And basically for me, it's about helping people learn that self-care will help initially down the road cultivate self-love. So that's my mission, that I will make others love themselves too. I love it. That's incredible. And before we get your contact details, Steph, looking back now, what would you say to 15-year-old Steph? I'd say you're a bit silly, but everything that you're about to do is a part of your path and a part of your journey. And you've got to do all of it because without everything that you'll go through, you won't be the person that you initially are today. I don't have any regrets. I think we shouldn't because everything happens for a reason. We are here today because of everything we've experienced. Incredible outlook on life. And before we wrap up, let's get some contact details where people can follow your journey. Of course. So I am plantbasedbody.co on the web. That's my blog. So you'll see recipes and blog posts from me also where my podcast hub is. 
You've got the podcast Plant-Based Body on Spotify and iTunes and then Plant-Based Body underscore underscore on Instagram. Awesome, guys. And I'm sure you'll be overwhelmed with support from people about your amazing story, Steph. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. And that's this week's dose of Euphoria. Connect with myself and the Euphoria Health community on Instagram or Facebook at Euphoria Health. Through these channels, you'll find cool workouts, plant-based recipes, and daily challenges. Until next time, guys, I'm your host, Matt Zapala, and remember, don't settle for anything less than Euphoria.